Today on Ag News Daily. As, as we all know, uh, you know, the, the market for bacon has changed uh, very dramatically. It's not just for BLT sandwiches <laughs> in the summer any longer. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Honkamp here reporting for the Ag News Daily podcast. And I am joined by Mike Pearson and Delaney Howell. And how is everyone's day going? It is wet and gray and just kind of blah. Madison, Delaney, how are things looking on your end? Yep, I'd say that's a pretty good synopsis of the day. But we do have enough things really moving the markets. I won't say whether it's positive or negative. We have seen huge swings in the grain markets this morning because we have seen conflicting weather reports that have come out uh, one last night, mm. one again this morning. The noon run of the GFS was uh, drier looking and it's it's just been all over the place. So we're We'll we'll follow up on that in just a little bit. But, of course, we've got news coming from the world of agriculture. Delaney, what are some of the headlines you see today? Well, yesterday we had a little wager. I don't know, Madison, if you saw that. We're wagering a steak mm-hmm. dinner um, <laughs> based on planting the planting report that we got yesterday. It's kind of a tie, I would say, Mike, but it looks like overall we were 61% planted, I believe, corn, and we were at 29% planted soybeans, which is what I wagered. Um, yeah, so I think I think on the whole, Delaney, you won. Okay. And of course, winner has to buy the loser a steak dinner, just as we wagered. No, the loser buys the winner a steak dinner. I don't think we ever nailed that back down. <laughs> I think we've. I think we, we just did. said a steak dinner was the wager. We didn't say uh, whether you had to be right or wrong to, uh-huh. to buy it. Okay, we'll go because back the, and listen Delaney, to that. Delaney, here's the story: anybody who's buying steak is a winner. That's true. So the winner should buy the steak dinner. I I don't quite understand uh-huh. that. I got logic. you. Or even if it was a tie, you can just buy the intern the steak dinner. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shoot your shot, Madison. I love it. <laughs> well, it looks like from that report, the big states that are really far behind is Illinois and Iowa. And um, according to Karen Braun has uh, been putting out some information. There's still 99 million acres of corn and soybeans that haven't yet been planted. So that is the largest amount of unplanted acreage at this point since 1995 when they were at 70 million acres. Jeez. So we are we are way behind. But I'll tell you what, uh, I, I've there has been a great discussion on Twitter about stand quality and ongoing crop condition, mm-hmm. given the fact that we are so far behind and so much of this crop was mudded in. It was obviously less than ideal conditions as we had a few planting days open up and and men and women just took to the fields with gusto. But I am in western Iowa. I am looking out at an emerged cornfield and it's on a hillside. It's a little hilly over here in western Iowa. And I tell you, this corn looks fantastic. It's probably six inches tall. I would say we are, I don't know, I'm not, I don't know, I need a stronger glasses prescription to give a, a full agronomic update, but at least one field out of the millions and millions of acres that have gone on the ground looks halfway decent here in the Corn Belt. Hmm. All right. I'm not sure that's what people really want to hear at this point. Well, and even, well, and even I know here, um, kind of in central Iowa, 
a lot of the corn that has been planted is now underwater with all the rain that we got, especially last night. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. More weather. But, uh, you know, we definitely have have uh, some corn in the ground and we know farmers are going to run probably beyond their uh, prevent plant date to get the rest of it or at least a portion of it in the ground and we had a study come out of the university you know whoop, 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 iowa state university the cyclones the ag school in the state of iowa uh they reported yesterday that cash rents in iowa this year are down 1.4 percent um looking at 219 dollars on average per acre and this is down slightly from the $222 that we saw last year. All right. Down considerably from the cash rent peak yeah. of $270 per acre back in 2013. Well, I think you have to consider market dynamics right now. So I think that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm frankly still impressed that prices are as strong as they yeah. are for cash rent. Yeah, me too. Well, Madison, what headlines are jumping out at you? Well, the big one that I saw, Mike, was was the USMCA agreement, um, and Canada is actually kind of kicking off the ratification process. Um, I know this has kind of been in the news a lot lately, um, but they actually had a trial run, um, and it was a bill kind of identical to the entire the. The bill was identical to a motion that they actually introduced to their House of Commons, and which I believe is like their House of Representatives. I mean, mm -hmm. don't quote me on that, but um, it was easily passed yesterday, I believe. Um, so it's kind of seen as a proxy for the U.S. MCA vote. Um, so hopefully we can kind of see that go through. Obviously, there is a little bit... Um, kind of tension going on with Mexico right now with all the tariffs, especially on farm goods. Um, but hopefully we can keep watching that and see that kind of be ratified. Yes, it sounds like uh, they are working to push that through. I have a little piece of follow-up, not related to USMCA, but related to trade in general, and that's coming out of the EU we saw last week, or not last week, last month, Washington, D.C. Um, threatened to put tariffs on about $21 billion in European goods. And we saw Commissioner EU Trade Commissioner Cecilia Malmström warning trade ministers in Brussels this week that they should be prepared for a wave of tariffs to come on European goods from cheeses, wines, olive oil, etc. because of this... Uh, round of tariffs that the Trump administration has threatened to put on the EU's product. They, of course, have to go through the WTO and get it approved there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, estimates are saying they could come, those tariffs could come as early as July or August if the WTO does approve of them to be put, put onto EU goods. All right, so these would be tariffs that the U.S. is putting on EU goods, but right. a rarity in this trade war will actually be going through the WTO to do it. Right. I think, yeah, that's, I guess, the headline there from that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we've also got some changes happening at uh, one of the largest global grains traders, Archer Daniels Minlet. ADM has, uh, we reported just a few weeks ago, they were doing some big shakeups. They're thinking of spinning off their ethanol business. They're looking to change some things around. Well, they announced another 
major reorganization. Um, this time, it looks like they are going to combine their grain trading and their oil seed segments, which are currently separate business units. They're going to bring them together under one umbrella, calling it Ag Services and Oil Seeds. So this would be ADMIS, the investor services that I'm sure uh, some of our listeners have brokered through. It would also include their their uh, corn processing and uh, soybean processing divisions would all be under one unit led by a guy named Greg Morris, who is currently the head of their oil seeds unit. They're doing all this, trying to save some money because, as we reported here not too terribly long ago, uh, ADM's quarterly operating profit was down 50 to $60 million this year on the combined horribly cold winter and the impacts of the flooding across the Corn Belt. And so they're just they're looking for a way to quite literally keep their heads above water mm. and uh, – so far, the stock market hasn't responded all that favorably. Favorably, uh, Shares were down a little bit earlier today. Last I looked, they were trading uh, just about thirty-eight fifty a share right in that ballpark. And uh, I don't know. Investors don't seem too thrilled with this new uh, combination idea. No, it doesn't sound like it. Well, what other news we got for us today? Well, Mike, the only other piece of news I have in Madison is an update here on African swine fever because it looks like there was another um, announced, we'll say, case found this time in the, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, but the Bobai County, maybe is how you sure. say it, in uh, South China's, again, not going to pronounce this correctly, Zhuangzi province, not really sure. My, uh, my Chinese is a little, little rusty, but the reason that this outbreak is so important, and of course, this is the first reported outbreak. We don't know if there have been other hogs infected in the area or not, but this is one of the largest hog producing areas in China, and this was really kind of the first major outbreak in this province. This county alone, though, the Bobai County, is one of the largest hog-producing counties in China. The county itself stocks about 500,000 sows and produces 6.2 million head of hogs annually. In the U.S., the only other, there's only three states, essentially, that can account for that same level of production that we see in just one county in China. And that's, of course, Iowa, North Carolina, North Carolina, and Minnesota. So those three states individually each account for the same amount of hog production annually that this one county does in China. So sounds like the Chinese government is getting pretty concerned, saying that they're nervous now about not having enough pork. Their latest estimates show the sow herd in China is about 22% smaller than this time last year, but of course, other industry analysts are suspecting it is more like 30% smaller than this time last year. So we're continuing to watch that. It sounds like perhaps they're going to put another transport uh, quarantine in order and not allow folks to transport pork or hogs from across infected areas. So just a quick update there. All right. Well, that uh, might have been some good news. We did see the hog market catch a bid today and uh, move strongly higher. So I wonder if that had a had a part to do with it. Well, I don't know, but it uh, sure is very fitting for the conversation that we have coming up here in just a little while, talking about the new bacon index that the CME Group is launching or has recently launched. Perfect. Yeah, I actually went online here just about uh, 15 days ago or 10 days ago yes, or so. So we'll... Right. Uh, 
Well, let's jump into that conversation right after we discuss the market. So what do you say? That sounds like a good plan. All right, folks, our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, volatile times require uh, flexibility in our marketing. They require us to look at each new day differently, and our friends at Zaner can help you do that and bring that expertise to your operation. Give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, it looks like the seesaw that was going on in corn ended down today. The July contract was down one and a half cents at 418 and three quarters, with the December down one and a quarter to close at 435 and three quarters. Soybeans, huge gainer on the day. The July up 16 cents, closed at 8.72 even. November up 16 cents as well, well off today's high, but still finished at 8.98 and a half. And Chicago wheat, oh, a loser in today's market. The July was down 14 and a quarter to close at 4.90 and a half, with a September down 13 and a quarter, bringing the finish to 4.98 and three quarters. Winners in the meat markets today in live cattle. The June was up 80 cents at 112.35, with the August up seven and a half cents, finishing at 107.85. Feeder cattle also caught a bid. The August was up 50 cents on the day at 142.72.50. September up 35, closed at 143.02 and a half. And in lean hogs, the June up a dollar 22.50. Bring the finish to $85.20. The July up $2.10 to close at $87.80. And the dairy market was slightly unchanged today. We did see it trading both sides of even. At the close, however, the June contract was unchanged at $16.08, with the July up a nickel at $16.45. Well, that is it for the markets. Let's jump into our discussion here of the new bacon index from the CME. Well, as promised earlier in the podcast today, we have a new index coming to us, the Fresh Bacon Index. And to help discuss and explain what that Fresh Bacon Index is, we've got Fred Simon, the CME Group Executive Director of Agricultural Research and product development. Fred, that is quite the title, but tell us a little bit about that role with the CME group that you have there. Okay, sure. I oversee uh, the research and product development for ag products here at the exchange. So what that means is if we're doing any kind of new product, uh, I'm involved and it might sound boring, but we also conduct maintenance on the existing products. And I can assure you it's anything but boring because you have these futures markets and underlying all of them are these vibrant cash markets that are always evolving and changing. And, and our job is to make sure that the futures contracts evolve and change uh, along with those cash markets. So, Fred, I mean, we used to have a futures markets for bacon. It was the the pork bellies contract. Um, it went away, what, 15 years ago, 10 years ago? Uh, I think it was 2013 uh, that oh. it went away, uh, so it wasn't too long ago. I might be off a, a, a few years, but uh, it, it was um, uh, 2011. Hmm. Gotcha. So not yeah, quite 20... 10 years ago, we lost that as a futures product. It was a, a playground for speculators, wasn't from the folks I've talked to, wasn't necessarily indicative of the market. Now we're bringing this back on the cash side. What has changed in the world of bacon to justify um, an index coming in uh, like this? Yeah, you know, so uh, pork bellies, it launched in 
1961 thereabouts, and its heyday was probably in the 1980s. And what that was was a frozen pork belly contract. And it used to be that, uh, you know, bacon demand was very seasonal. So what they would do in the off season is produce um, bellies that would go into cold storage uh, that would be available during the summertime when the, the demand increased. And as as we all know, uh, you know, the, the market for bacon has changed uh, very dramatically. It's not just for BLT sandwiches mm-hmm. in the summer any longer. Uh, we eat bacon year-round. So the market evolved from a frozen kind of market that we traded here at the exchange with the pork belly futures contract to a fresh market. So, uh, you know, the, the contract had lost its relevance with the underlying market that, that you know, had, had evolved away from a frozen to a, a fresh market. So it ended up being delisted in 2011. Um, and we've continued to take, you know, to look at it. And uh, what transpired is that, uh, you know, it's it's very volatile of all the, you know, the primal cuts, uh, the, you know, the, the, the belly is the, the most volatile. And we also found that it doesn't always follow the lean hog futures contract, and it doesn't always follow uh, the um, cutout index. That's another index that we publish. So we thought that at this point in time, the industry could use a benchmark, a transparent benchmark, uh, using USDA data uh, to determine what is the value of, uh, you know, these fresh bellies that are used to make bacon. So that's what, why we came up with it. So, Fred, how do you use this index in a more practical setting? Explain to us, can producers use it? Do retailers use it? What does it indicate to them? Yeah, and, and that's a, a really good question because what we're trying to do at at the moment is just provide transparency. Uh, you know, there's no futures market on this. What we're doing is, you know, the the the, the belly market is a very large underlying market uh, that doesn't have a whole lot of transparent pricing. So let's go out there. We've got all of these raw data. Let's see if we can use those raw data to create something that represents the value of bellies and publish that and, and, you know, provide that to the market. And and we think just the need uh, for transparency for people to, you know, this very simple concept of, you know, I know what the price is. Uh, we we think there will be demand uh, for that, just like we did with our cutout index. And we are going to, you know, provide that on our website for anyone that is curious or, you know, is affected by, you know, changing prices of, of bellies used to, to make bacon. So, Fred, once we get an index, of course, now we've got published numbers. As you mentioned, we've got transparency. The next step, I think, for a lot of our listeners who tend to be avid traders is, will this be a tradable index? Uh, you, you never say never, right? Um, at the at this moment, we're just concentrating on providing the index. And if the industry, you know, adopts it, 
and we are always listening to our customers and our customers say they would like a, a you know a product based on that index then we would certainly look at it but as as we speak as of this moment uh, there are no plans to to launch a, a product yeah absolutely makes sense um i want to go back to something you mentioned and i know it was in the news or the press release also released and that's the idea that pork bellies and pork cuts pork primal cuts are very volatile why do we see that being the case for things like bacon for products like bacon yeah, yeah, for the bellies, and and it's a it's a supply and and demand thing. Uh, so, okay, uh, with a lot of the primal cuts, there is still a seasonality to mm-hmm. it. So you always have uh, you know stocks that cushion should you know unforeseen demand arise. With bacon, that is not always the case. You know, you're hmm. you're uh, harvesting. Uh, hogs sometimes in a real time basis, not always, uh, but sometimes. And you know, unforeseen demand in bacon can cause uh, you know a, a pretty volatile price swing because of that. So bacon tends to be more just in time compared to the other cuts. Now, Fred, as you mentioned, we've got the the freshness, I think, is a big part of that aspect. It's uh, people crave fresh product. And, and I was going to wonder, this index has been published now since the 13th of May. We're going on two weeks. What has the response from the industry been like? We have had uh, probably exceeding our expectations in interest in looking at the index. And that means, you know, across the value chain. So uh, it's been very well received uh, from market participants. Uh, so I think we have, you know, hit something that, that needs this transparency um, and, uh, you know, very, very pleased with the response that we've received so far. And you say it provides a piece of transparency or an element of transparency to, you know, not only producers, but also retailers, wholesalers, consumers, etc. Do you see those end users, the, the wholesalers and the food service retailers, do you see them using this in the grocery store yet? Or do you see that something that's coming down the pipeline? Yeah, no, not not at this moment at, at the retail level. I think it um, does have relevance for, uh, you know, anyone that is transacting, uh, you know, anywhere from the belly market to the to the bacon market to understand and have an idea of value at any point in time in terms of people, you know, doing, uh, uh, you know, trading basis, the CME index, I, I think it's probably too early for mm-hmm. that to have happened. Um, you know, what we hope will people will, uh, you know, look at it. And if we've created a, an index that's of value, maybe that will happen in the future, but certainly too soon for that now, I believe. Yeah, it's definitely uh, pretty early on in the the history of the fresh bacon index. But Fred, I suppose one question that we've kind of alluded to here, but how does it get calculated, the fresh bacon index? Yeah, and I I wish I had my economist here that does it for (laughs) me, but uh, um, we take raw USDA data and uh, calculate a a volume-weighted weekly price 
basis, uh, you know, the, the previous week's transactions that are reported uh, in mandatory pricing to the USDA. So, you know, prior to this, the, the raw data were available. We're just taking that raw data and calculating, a, you know, a, a volume weighted average price and publishing that. Fantastic. Fred, for our listeners whose interest has been piqued by this topic and they're thinking, hey, I want to follow along with the Fresh Bacon Index, where should they go to do that and uh, what does subscribing to it look like? Yeah, well, you don't even have to uh, subscribe, though. I do believe we do. We, we have a lot of, of uh, interesting uh, p- papers and information on the Bacon Index, and all of that is available at uh, cmegroup.com slash bacon index. And they can find the, the, the index, but all kinds of supporting materials that we've been publishing along with it to help educate people about, you know, the belly of bacon market market. Fantastic. Listeners, be sure to hop in there and check it out. Fred Simon, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. And it'll be great to watch where this index goes and what type of use cases develop now that it's turned loose out in the industry. Indeed. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Enjoyed uh, discussing it with you guys. Well, again, thank you so much to Fred there. Interesting stuff that they're doing. I personally love to eat bacon, so it's bacon, so it's interesting to hear behind how your prices of bacon get established kind of in the grocery store. Absolutely. The cash side is the side that matters since there are no more pork bellies futures like we talked about there. Mm-hmm. Now, Delaney, I've got one other piece of news. This slipped by my attention mm-hmm. earlier. I want to just drop it in at the end. Um, Arby's made an announcement last Friday that they are never going to use plant based fake mm. meat in any of their sandwiches. So you know what I did today for lunch? You had Arby's. I had Arby's and it was fantastic and delicious. Get the large roast beef. It's just an unbelievable wall of roast beef. It was fantastic. Arby's, if you're tuning in and you want to advertise on a publication <laughs> that gets it, gets what you're talking about when you say you have the meats, we get it here at Ag News Daily. Reach out to us. Send us a message. All right. That was a very good, very good slip there. I don't think Arby's will listen to it, but if they did... They'd surely want to advertise with us. Absolutely. Maybe someone can just give them our name. Yeah, that'd be yeah. great. Yeah, if your brother-in-law or whatever works at Arby's in the marketing <laughs> department, hey, slide them our name. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, always, you can find us on the web at agnewsdaily.com. That'll take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network. You can always find us on social media. Just search for Ag News Daily on Twitter and on Facebook. We are there. We want to hear from you. We want to know what stories need to be covered out there in the Corn Belt and beyond, because agriculture is, of course, global. Without further ado, Madison, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.